0: Hey, welcome back to our podcast. Did you know that 34% of Christians have considered adoption, but only 1% have done it? Today we're talking to Amanda, a foster and an adoptive parent. And Amanda talks about raising children with fetal alcohol syndrome. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about what the church can do to support families through the journey of fostering and adoption. And Amanda saw a need, and so she started a ministry to help churches connect with orphan care. You're going to love Amanda's heart. Here's her story.
1: Um, I appreciate it so much. I know you're a really busy mom, and so taking this time out is not easy. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no problem at all.
1: Uh, so, we want to start off by looking at um, when did you first think about foster care and adoption? What did your family look like before you started this journey?
2: Um, so, my husband and I um, had been married about a year. We got married really young at 18 and 19. Um, everyone thought we were crazy. Mm-hmm. And both of us had been on our own separate journeys um, to kind of just. Uh, come around orphans. That's, that's what we had been raised um, by in the church and that sort of thing. And we had always envisioned it meaning to go and work in an orphanage. And in that first year of life, um, I don't know why it came about, but uh, we just started talking about adoption and realized that there was this different way to help vulnerable kids. Um, and so we applied a year after getting married and um, yeah, looked into adoption and all the different routes. And uh, basically, that's how we got started on that journey.
1: And um, so what was the first um, meeting with your foster care worker and all that kind of stuff? So how did that journey for someone who's thinking about starting out into the world of foster care and adoption? What is that first step
2: like? Um, so the first step was just basically meeting a social worker and talking to them about it. So we were just talking to them about adoption, and they just gave us some of the information. And basically, we had a passion um, for the kids that were kind of being left behind, the ones that weren't getting adopted. So we wanted to adopt um, an older kid in foster care. Most of them are usually three years and older, so they got to, to find out you know, what we wanted to do. And, and then they started a home study, so we started through that journey where they get to know us, find out what we were raised like, what our relationship is like. Um, we went to training classes, so they're really great here about um, just giving you all sorts of information on attachment and um, a child going through grief and loss and all sorts of special needs, uh, cultural aspects, just everything you can think of so that you're really prepared to bring a child into your home that has this huge history behind them. And
1: so what was the first child that came into your home?
2: Uh, So, basically, we were just about finished our home study. Um, We had one more meeting to go, and we were chatting with her, and she kind of looked at us and said, you know, I know your guys' heart, I know your passion, I know your ability, um, but on paper, you guys, you know, sound like teenagers. Um, My husband hadn't really started his career yet. Um, He was still 19. So, she said, why don't you just put everything on hold um, for two years and then come back, and we'll just pick up. We'll finish your home study, and then we can just match you in two years. So we kind of went away thinking, okay, if that's, you know, how it's going to be, then then let's just get ourselves ready. So that weekend we, we went home, gave notice at our uh, basement suite and bought a condo really randomly and thought, yes, we're on on our way to getting ourselves prepared. So we came back to finish that last home study meeting and, and prior to this, we'd been collecting like things for, you know, the older kids, toddlers, that sort of thing. And she had this really weird look on her face we're like, oh, no, like is something going to happen to our home study to put it on hold. Like, how come she's looking at us like this? And so she started to talk and she's like, I, I actually have a proposal for you. And a proposal is basically when they tell you about a child that they've matched you to. And we're like, what? Um, you know we weren't even finished the home study. you just told us we were on hold for two years I, we like we were so confused uh so basically, there was a little boy um and due to his uh basic basically his history um uh prenatally uh several other families had said no. So they were asking us because we were very open to things. And uh, it turns out he was only two months old. So we were shocked. Like, we weren't expecting a baby. Uh, we weren't expecting any child at that point. Um, and she goes on to say, and he's ready to come home in three weeks. <laughs> so we were a little bit like, uh, you know, we didn't have baby stuff. He didn't, I had never babysat a baby growing up. I wasn't one of those <laughs> teenagers that babysat all the time. I had no idea what we were doing. Um, in fact, even when we went to go and visit him, um, we were allowed to go on a drive one time with him, and uh, I just remember thinking, "Really? Like they're letting us drive a baby? <laughs> really?" <laughs> but it was it was amazing. We fell in love with him the second we met him. Um, it was it was such a great experience, and his parents. Uh, his foster parents were Christian and um, kind of talked us through what their life was like being foster parents. And so um, through adopting my first son, we found out about fostering. So we signed up uh, right away. Uh, again, people told us we were crazy. And 10 months later, we brought home our first foster baby. So we're a safe baby home. So we take kids that are prenatally exposed uh, straight from the hospital. Um, and that basically ended up leading us to many more children. A um, Lots have come and gone. But our permanent family is now eight kids. So um, before we get into the eight kids,
1: <laughs> um, you bring home a baby um, for, as as a foster parent, and then um,
0: at, okay, yeah, you're, the so
1: you're that was adopted, but then you started bringing yeah. home babies, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're a mom, and you bring home little babies fresh from the hospital, and then you're loving on them, and then they go to another home. So yeah. how does a mom's heart handle that?
2: You know, I think that's one of the biggest questions I get asked from people is, you know, how can you let them go? Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's a bit of both. So I always say fostering is the easiest thing you've ever done and the hardest thing you've ever done. Saying goodbye to any kid, whether they're a baby, we've had older kids. um, It can be really hard. Now, there's a lot that goes into that. The longer a child is with you, the harder it gets. Um, The more that they don't, you know, like if they're younger, it's often harder because they don't know who their biological family is. So their strongest connection is typically to the foster parent. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of different factors that go into that. Um, Also, are they going home to a good situation? Are they being adopted? Are they going home to a bad situation? There's so many different things. So on the one hand, uh, you want to be happy, like, yay, this baby is going to their new forever family, or their parents, you know, did all that hard work, and they're getting their kids back, and there's all these great things. Um, but on the other hand, it can be very hard. It We've definitely had our fair share of, um, you know, deep grieving the loss of, of these kids. But I think the thing that gets you through it is that as much as... It's it can hurt when you go through that. That child at that time of their life needs it. They need a safe and loving home. And we know that during that time, they were part of our family. They were being loved. They were being included. They were being just a typical kid in a typical family. And knowing that we were able to support them in their hardest time of life, um, you know, kind of gets you through it when you have to go through the hard times. Because um, you know, we may choose whether we foster, but a child doesn't choose to be in foster care. So we have to kind of look past ourselves and what we're going to feel um, to support a kid who doesn't really have a choice in that. So
1: as a Christian, um, what could the church be doing for our foster families who are going through that? Because that's, you know, when someone loses a child, um, obviously the, the church wraps around that family, but sometimes they might not really think about that with a foster family that yes, is losing yes. a child. So <laughs> how what could the church be doing um, that
2: could, w- like what would a foster mom need? Yeah, that's a great thing you bring up because um, unfortunately I think the church has failed uh, majorly in this area for both adoptive and foster families. Um, yeah, they, they, they don't recognize the loss of, of a child and it's not even one loss, it's a continued loss. You, you lose kids over and over again and you don't you can't really grieve them in the same way that you would say the death of a child because there's no um like there's no closure.
0: Mm-hmm. You don't
2: know what that child's life is like, you don't know uh, you know, what it's what's happening and you may never know what's going on. Um so it's really hard to kind of move past it. So the church can help in so many ways, um, not even just with the loss of the child, but just with foster and adoptive parents in general because nine out of ten times they are dealing with kids with special needs and that means you're spending all of your time dealing with that or visits or um, cultural things or anything that kind of wraps around that and 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 really most of the time just surviving because their needs are so high um, they're not able to just do the normal life stuff that the, the rest of the world is so much more used to so the church can wrap around in so many ways um they can bring meals that is an easy one anyone can do that um they can help out with babysitting give the parents a night off, um, even just to help them go to an appointment or maybe take a couple of the other kids out for some one-on-one time, that sort of thing. Um, They can help with things around the house like cleaning or maybe raking the leaves or, um, you know, a reno so that they have that extra bedroom to let two more kids come into their family. Just anything like that is really helpful because usually we're so busy dealing with kids. Those Those things get neglected, and it can be overwhelming and hard. Um, So that's really important for the church, and um, I think also just uh, surrounding them um, in prayer because they go through a lot of different battles and listening. I I think a lot of foster and adoptive parents feel very isolated and alone, and the ones that are lucky enough to find like a support group that of fellow adoptive foster parents are, it's so great. But usually those other people are also in the trenches. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they can't necessarily help in all the same ways that people who aren't going through this can. Um, So just even listening to them, inviting them over for dinner. The amount of people um, who are fostering an adoption, especially who have uh, bigger families or kids with more needs, they usually don't get invited anymore. So if you can muster it up and invite them over for dinner one time, I think these are all huge things the church can do. Um, And even just supporting them in their cause. So um, having awareness nights at your church or speaking about it from the pulpit, all sorts of different things to just encourage other people to get involved and and, and wrap around families.
1: That is, those are all really, really good things. And I know when I go places and speak um, and there are foster families there or adoptive families that's the number one thing I hear is that um the moms are just lonely. Like that their their friends don't understand yeah. the struggles they have and um and so they feel like they're in it all alone. So
0: um
1: just knowing you're not alone and that there are people there who see you and care about you. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, so that was that so that's your fostering. Now you, you went from having one child, now you have eight. So what is the story that ended up with eight?
2: Um, so the, the half that I can chat about is, um, basically, um, our second, or oh, no, maybe it was our fourth, somewhere <laughs> right away in our volunteering journey, we replaced with our first newborn, uh, which was very exciting. We got to go to the hospital and pick him up and, um, you know, they were so tiny and it was just kind of a different experience than a three month old. Um, and so he ended up, um, quite quickly in his life, um, becoming available for adoption and we just knew right away you know why have him leave when Mm -hmm. we've been his primary attachment for this last year when we could offer him a forever home so uh we chose to adopt him and then right around the time we adopted him when he was one um we found out that his uh, birth mom had had another baby oh wow so yeah, so (laughs) yeah so we um said yes to her too actually it was a funny funny thing our home we already had another baby in the house she was supposed to be leaving to her adoptive family um and the the you know the little sibling elena she had just been born and he said well let's 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 wait let's give you some time we're gonna move the other baby out of your home and let's give you a little bit of time we're like no 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 no." (laughs) wait we know that this is going to adoption, bring her here right away. Like we don't want to waste any time. And um, she was already at that time two weeks old and we were missing out on all these, you know, first few days and Mm -hmm. everything like that. So the little baby that we were fostering left um, at 10 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we convinced the social worker to bring Elena to us by noon. Oh, wow. (laughs) So so she came to us and um, the same situation, she ended up becoming available for adoption about a year later. So we adopted her so we had three and then about you know a a few months later we kind of thought to ourselves well you know we'd really like to have another in the family why don't we um, call and ask about a concurrent placement and basically what that is is sort of what we're already doing but more official where they place you with a child that they think is likely going to go up for adoption but it's still just a foster placement so if there's any family involved you're still working with them to return the child you're trying to get that reconciliation together um, but they might know something like well you know this particular parent isn't involved or um, maybe there's some sort of history that means it's likely to happen that sort of thing so we phoned on a Friday and told, told our social worker, she said, okay, I'll you know, call you next week and we'll update your home study and we'll do all this paperwork and get you on the list and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's going to take some time. Like, okay, no problem. We're in no rush. Um, Monday we get a phone call from the placement team. They said, oh, we have a concurrent placement for you. You can come pick her up. <laughs> so wow. Wow. Was- I funny new phone friday and uh you know the next week we already had her home so um yeah we got to pick her up from the hospital a little newborn um who th- did then come available for adoption a year later um that one didn't go quite as smoothly um due to just some uh, cultural differences racial that sort of thing uh they did end up trying to move her but we we advocated for her to stay and won and so we ended up getting to adopt her um
1: now so before you gonna... move on let's let's pause there for a second because yeah. a lot of people listening would be like wow that is that is too dangerous to my emotions <laughs> like so you you would have someone come into your home a brand new baby that you're planning on adopting the whole first year of bonding hanging over mm-hmm. your head that she might just be gone out of your family so how
2: yeah. do you do that <laughs> Well, the one thing I always caution people is, I think, so in Canada we call this concurrent adoption. I think in the United States you guys call it foster to adopt. Um, The one thing I always caution people is it's such an amazing route because a child then doesn't have to break that primary attachment. Um, Well, I mean, if they're newborn or that very extended attachment if they're older it's great that a foster family can adopt that child. They've they've built that attachment. Um, But yes, it it can go horribly wrong for the adoptive parent in the sense that it can be very painful and that sort of thing. Um, But it's just, it's so important to be able to maintain that consistency. Um, But what I do caution people is that because it, it's so unknown and Mm -hmm. you don't know what's going to happen not only could they go back to their biological family but sometimes we find extended family or or um in our case we try and find a cultural match that sort of thing um so I don't encourage people to do it if they have no children I don't personally think it's the wisest thing because it can end up being such a heartbreaking Mm -hmm. traumatic experience um if you already have kids it can just make it, a. I mean, you're still going to feel that, that grief mm. and loss for sure, but it can make it a little bit easier um, because you're still a parent at the end mm. of that um, versus, you know, you've been a parent for a year and suddenly you're not a parent. Um, so that would be my only, my only cautionary note <laughs> to say about that. But I, I think it's worth it if it means a child doesn't have to move homes again, mm. because that's so traumatic for kids to have to move. And, and, you know, not every foster parent needs to adopt because then, Really, then they wouldn't be able to foster, and they right. just have no more foster homes. Um, but if you can, it's such an amazing thing. So that was so that was your fourth. That I was our team. fourth. Okay. Yep, yep. So you're halfway and through. <laughs> we we're halfway through. Um, And then we had kind of been told that the foster system was changing. We were trying to place more with extended family and that foster care was, they, they made it sound like it was basically going to shrivel up and die. <laughs> oh. The foster care system, we actually gave, gave all our baby stuff away. We were like out of diapers for nine months. Hadn't had any kids thinking like, (laughs) like this is it. And we get a phone call for a little baby just been born. Um, So of course we said yes. I don't think we've ever said no. Um, And that ended up turning into his biological mother having three more babies um, for the next three years. So um, of course we said yes every time to keep the siblings together. Mm -hmm. And so that brought us to our four. So we are currently um, in the process of trying to adopt them right now. So um, yeah.
1: Now, how many of of your children have special needs?
2: Um, So, I mean, it's hard to tell with babies um, where they're headed, but the odds are seven of them are Mm -hmm. going to have special needs. So my oldest did not end up having any special needs, um, which is funny because he was the one that everyone, you know, said no to his file just by looking at the the history, and um, he ended up not having any special needs, but the rest of them do. Um, You know, with all the prenatal exposure, it can come with a Mm -hmm. lot of needs. So
1: like fetal alcohol syndrome, is that what you're... Yeah, that's yeah.
2: usually one of the biggest ones. It's the FASD, it's mm-hmm. what most of our kids uh, have, and we kind of navigate through that.
1: <laughs> and so what does, um, being a mom with special needs kids, especially fetal alcohol syndrome, so
2: what does your day look like? Um, Yes, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, It starts with our kids waking up at the crack of dawn. I would say they probably start waking up around 5 a.m. Um, About half of them can't function without... Uh, The assistance of medication, so a lot of them have ADHD as well, Mm -hmm. Um, and their brains are just very, very active, I would say. It's equivalent to if a kid maybe drank like four cans of Coke first thing in the morning and some chocolate bars. Um, They're just, they're they're very uh, excited in the morning. Um, So the first bit is just a little, a little interesting just because they're all waking up, the medication hasn't set in, they're all in each other's spaces, they're all kind of overstimulating each other. So for the first 45 minutes, there's a lot of screaming going on. once that kind of settles down uh we get kids ready for school uh that sort of thing drive half of them to school load everyone up the loading is is always interesting with four kids in booster seats and car seats and um i feel like i get a workout multiple times a day um we drive a big nissan envy at 12 passengers so we've got lots of room for everybody So that's kind of the morning, and uh, the middle of the day is usually filled with about a bazillion appointments just because um, there are so many needs. So we've got speech, and we've got infant development, we've got... pediatrician appointments all the time, um, you know, just appointments with social workers, um, cultural events that we go to, pretty much everything you can think of, other kinds of appointments, just kind of school IEPs and everything like that. So we've got a lot of that going on. And um, after school, they like to play outside and we get ready for dinner. We don't really ever have people over for dinner because that's another bewitching hour where there's a lot of screening. Um, and then begins the bedtime routine uh because you know they can all kind of <laughs> um you know overstimulate each other we have we have uh, what's the word when you uh, I can't think of the word, but they all have uh, different bedtimes um so yeah, we start that at six thirty with <laughs> the youngest, and then we basically are doing the bedtime routine up until about nine thirty <laughs> um some days we've got activities that we drive the kids to, and nine thirty comes, kids are all in bed and yeah, we crash <laughs> We crash or we work because <laughs> so, I run a charity and, and I have a blog and so that takes up some time and I also work, I do home studies, I'm a social worker so I do home studies um, for adoptive families and so sometimes I'm writing reports and doing that stuff and then sometimes we crash and maybe watch a show or something. <laughs> so that's the next thing I was going to say on top of all
1: of that, now you have started uh, a ministry uh, sure. or a charity so what led you to decide to do that? Like you didn't have enough on your plate.
2: (laughs) So we started, I feel like we started a long time ago, probably when we only had like two or three kids, um, trying to start just as a church ministry. And really our only goal back then was to just try and spread awareness. So we just wanted people to know, um, you know, there's 30,000 kids waiting for adoption in Canada. There's over 100,000 waiting to be adopted in the United States. And there's 20 million worldwide all waiting for adoption. Um, everyone we talked to seemed to know nothing about this. Everyone just equated adoption with what people do when they have infertility issues. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's not all that it is. It's it's so much more than that. So we started with just trying to do that. Um, the church was was not very receptive to this, for sure. We heard a lot of, it's not my mandate, um, that sort of thing. So one of them actually encouraged us to start our own charity. And at first I was a little bit like, Eh, no, <laughs> we want the church to support us in this. But um, it, it ended up being a blessing in disguise because we started this charity. We, uh, a bunch of us adoptive moms did it, um, you know, formed our board. And basically we just said, okay, what are the gaps? What can we do to help people? Because there's, just, there's not a lot in Canada right now. The mm-hmm. United States is so far ahead of us, like like 20 to 40 years ahead of us in what they've accomplished and the organizations and charities that exist and all that sort of thing. But Canada's quite behind so we started the charity and we said, okay, well we want to do awareness. We want to let people know about all the kids waiting for adoption. We want people to know that there's this need for more foster parents. We want to do education, so let's let them know about trauma and let them know about all these special needs because so many people, they hear special needs adoptions or, or you know, equate that with fostering and they think, oh, no, I could never do that. So let's educate them on it so they're not so scared. Um, and then finally, support. You know, what can we do to support families, whether it be uh, people who are in the process? So many people... Think of just one thing when it comes to adoption, in particular. Um, everyone is different, but some of them equate it to, oh, I'm adopting a child, you know, from Africa. Some people equate it to, oh, a birth mother is choosing me, and I'm adopting a newborn. Um, everyone has their own different perception of it, so um, you know, they never know where to start, and you know, why I'm open to this, but I don't know, you know, where I fit in for that. So, we wanted to support them, walk them through that process. This is how you can adopt. This is how you can foster. This is how the, the different routes, um, you know are. This is how you can uh, fundraise or how you can find grants available, that sort of thing. Um, and then just, you know, how can we get people connected and supported that way? So support groups and, and that sort of thing. And most recently, we started a fund, actually, um, because Uh, when you adopt at a foster care, you get a lot of financial support if you need something like speech therapy or OT or anything like that. But anyone else doesn't. If you adopt um, through like a a newborn from a birth mother, if you adopt overseas, you don't get any support. So we started this fund uh, to basically support adoptive and foster families um, to help them. So if they need a service dog or they need counseling or their child might need speech therapy, anything you can think of, we want to fund that. So that's kind of been how our organization organization has grown. We're, we're wanting to get into advocacy and um, just keep spreading the awareness and um, you know sponsor foster families. Just anything we can do to basically help foster and adoptive families so that they can help the kids that need families.
1: So if people wanted to support this ministry, how would they find you?
2: Um, so they can go to homeforeverychild.org. That's our website, Um, and we love support (laughs) in lots of different ways. I think prayer is a big one. Um, We always appreciate that. You can donate because it happens to be, um, in in Canada particularly, uh, the type of charity that not a lot of people want to support because they don't know anything about it and they don't Mm -hmm. quite understand. Um, We need volunteers, so anyone that lives near us. We're based out of BC, but we are a national organization, so we have uh, different chapters that we've just started um, in Alberta and in Ontario we're trying to get to other provinces, Um, you know, we need teams to help get that off the ground, that sort of thing. If you have insight into anything like web design or throwing fundraisers or anything you can think of, we just appreciate it. Um, Any kind of support that way. So you can look us up online um, at homeforeverychild.org. So if there's churches in Alberta,
1: Ontario, or BC, um, they could contact you. And definitely this is an organization that. Uh, church could um, have come in and help them, right, to get to the place where they can be supporting families. And then if you are in other provinces, could they contact you if they were thinking, wow, we need that here where I am. Let me step in
2: and help with that. Oh, yes, for sure. That any province can contact us. We're happy to get connected. Um, Those two provinces are just where we happen to have teams that, you know, have just shown interest for this year. Um, But we would love to get it in every province. So for the people
1: who are listening right now and, and um I remember so I, I remember I listened to you, this is how I heard about your organization on TV and you shared a stat with me and it was comparing um families who think about adoption as opposed to families that actually do adopt in our churches. So yes. um for the person who's listening to this and they've been thinking about adoption, if you could share that stat and just kind of
2: maybe help them get over that hurdle. <laughs> Yes, um, so that is 34% of Christians have considered adoption, but only 1% has actually done it.
1: So 34% think about adoption, feel called to adoption, but only 1% actually does.
2: Yes, so the the number of people thinking about it is is so different than the people who have actually done it. So we need to get that 1% way up. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so that when I hear that, that tells me that's probably you know, at least 30%, maybe 29, somewhere around that percent that God is probably calling them to adopt. But there are so many fears. And even just that first pick up the phone, call social services, looking for information, even that, Mm -hmm. just that first step can be so fearful. So for the person who's listening and they've, they've been thinking about it, they have all these excuses, I'm going to in a few years or whatever, what would you say to them? to help them get over that first hurdle, that first fear?
2: Yeah, well, I would I would start by saying uh, go check out my blog. It's mylovelycrazylife.com, and I actually have um, a post right on there, Top 10 Biggest Myths About Adoption. Um, so I would say start there, see all the different things that a lot of people think that really aren't true, That would be a great way. There's a lot of different articles on there, actually dispelling myths, how to get started with fostering, that sort of thing. Um, The next thing I would say is contact Home for Your Child. Uh, We will just walk you through it tell me what you're scared of, tell me what your fears are, and we will just help navigate it. We've got some online uh, brochures we can send people, an adoption 101 booklet and a fostering 101 booklet. So we'll do whatever we can to just get you the right information um, and answer any questions and distill any of those myths for you um, so that you kind of feel more confident before you take that next step. All right, so we're
1: running out of time here. Um, so for our last question, we want to pray for you today. So how can we pray for your family today?
2: Um, I think just prayer for um, continued movement in adoptions, um, in strength, <laughs> and um, just support that we can find a church we're currently looking. Um, and that, yeah, that we'll just be connected to people and feel supported as we kind of navigate this journey awesome
1: thank you so much again for sharing your story with us
2: no problem Um, and
1: for and for being um, a mom that's willing to work so hard and take
0: care of your kids thanks (laughs) all right thanks for listening to amanda's story one of the things the church can do is go and check out home for every child And if you're in Ontario, please check out the Together for Adoption Fostering Conference that's going to be on May 24th and 25th and that's going to be held in Waterloo. So what can the church do? Well send your church and your youth pastors so they can learn how to support families who are fostering and adopting. But also if you have foster or adoptive families in your church, send them to this conference. Pay their way, get them a hotel for the night and make sure you find childcare. All right, we're going to be back next week. And this week, I'm going to be recording an episode where we answer questions. So if you have any questions about adoption or about fostering, please email me at laura lee at com. I will put that email in the show notes. All right, see you next week.